0: Episode 9, feeling so fine. Hi, how are you? Hello, hi. I found that the best way to get going with the podcast for me is just to literally turn it on and go. Kind of like um, games of skill, like bowling or um, pool or I feel like maybe I don't know if ping pong, is ping pong a game of skill? I don't know. I guess all games are games of skill in some capacity, but you just dive right in. You just go for it. Episode nine. We've made it to nine. The ninth. The ninth. I'm feeling good. We are entering the holiday season, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about what can go on inside of people's minds during the holiday season, because on the surface, it can feel really glittery and really fun and really amazing and it is all of those things it is really a special time of year the holidays but a lot of people are going through it inside of their own minds and, and um and they carry things with them on a daily basis and it can be really hard for a lot of people to get through the holidays it can be really hard for a lot of people to get through days in general But I feel like the holidays bring an extra special amount of frustration or baggage or not baggage, but sometimes things that we suppress throughout the rest of the year can really surface during the holidays, like lost loved ones or estranged relationships or just um, things that we've been holding on to in our minds that we maybe haven't been looking at. They can kind of come to the surface during the holidays. So try to be kind and try to be gentle when you approach situations because although there's a lot of glam and and a lot of glitter and a lot of pretty packaging, sometimes um, people have more going on than what the surface will just tell you. So just be careful and be mindful about how you approach interactions because it can be um really hard for a lot of people the holidays and sometimes that sadness can get can come out in in um frustrations or meanness from people i feel like so just be mindful of uh, the weight that the holidays carries that the holiday carries <laughs> Um, I've been doing good. My mental health seems pretty good today. I mean, it's a day-to-day. You just take it day by day. And I'm feeling very thankful to have um, food and family and friends and an outlet to create and the capacity to create. And my son seems healthy and like he's growing and learning and... Yeah, <laughs> so I'm personally doing good. I have a lot to be thankful for. Um, I made a note here to mention my Patreon. So I'm not sponsored by anyone, but if you would like to go above and beyond of just listening, um, leaving a review or leaving a, re- a rating, you can become one of my Patreon, one of my patrons over on Patreon. Uh, You just search Mount Analog, M-T period A-N-A-L-O-G-U-E, and you will find me there. There are tiers where you get early access to music, early access to podcasts, and other goodies and so so such things, (laughs) if you will. On this episode, we're going to talk about Christmas. I know there's a ton of holidays to cover. Um, I'm not going to get... Okay, so just just a precursor or I guess a disclaimer to this episode, I'm not going to talk a ton about how Christianity is intertwined with Christmas because I feel like a lot of people listening already know the story of Jesus and Mary and the star and the three wise men and all that. So I am, I mean, I'm going to touch on it a little bit because how can you not talk about Christmas and talk about that? They're intertwined in such a way but uh i'm going to i'm going to more focus on uh lesser known origins of the holiday and their traditions and concepts that being said let's get into it so christmas has its origins in a holiday called yule and a lot of the traditions celebrated at yule are incorporated into celebrations that we Celebrate in Christmas today. I think I just said that in a circle. Sorry. <laughs> so Yule comes from uh, an ancient Ger- uh, comes from ancient Germania, Scandinavia, and Anglo-Sax- Anglo-Saxon England, and just general Northern European areas. Um, not a ton is known about Yule because these ancient people didn't have a ton of written language. And what is known has been passed down by oral traditions and mythology, and there are a lot of pa- there are, there are a lot of parallels between Yule and Halloween. If you listened to my Halloween slash Samhain episode, you're going to hear a lot of things that are strikingly similar because the people who the ancient um, Nordic pagan people who are responsible for Sawin are also responsible for Yule. And a lot of the traditions that happened during Sawin also happened during Yule. Yule was roughly a two-month winter holiday consisting of many small celebrations and then a large celebration that took place on or around the winter solstice. And holidays always seem to have um, origins somewhat similar to this. People would get together and celebrate at these big turning points of the year between seasons or times of harvests or times of plantings. Uh, the seasons and solstices, solstice, sort, of sort of have roots in, in how holidays came to be and how holidays came to pass. And as I get into the customs of Yule, like I said, um, there's going to be a lot of parallels that there's going to be a lot of parallels with Samhain leading up to, and on the night of the big Yule celebration, there were sacrifices of crops, sacrifices of animals uh, to the ancient gods. They would sacrifice horses, boars, and goats, and there were some animals that had significance to the sacrifice more so than others, um, particularly the, the goats and boars, just like Sawan, fires were lit as well, ale was drank, lots of food, lots of celebration. and during the time during this time, the Norse pagans would celebrate their ancient gods paying tribute to the god Odin and he was a he was the big one at the celebration. And I find it interesting that Odin is known as the Yule Father or Yule Father, the father of Yule, the king of the celebration, the king of the season. He's the primary god that they're celebrating during Yule. And a little like side note here: if you <laughs> if you look up a picture of Odin, he looks strikingly similar to Santa and if you just go look them up, you'll see what I mean. Um, the beard, the, the sort of like shroud of mystery about him, the way that they're depicted early, not the like Coca-Cola can version of Santa, but the early European (laughs) depictions of Santa and depictions of Odin. If you put them side by side, it's like, well, these are, these might be the same person. Um, when we look back past our modern advertisement adjusted images of Santa Claus to a more traditional image, it's it's just kind of funny um, that this celebration of ancient Norse gods had this ripple into the future, you know? <laughs> like, nowadays we're celebrating Christmas with uh, Santa, and Odin is a pretty big piece of that. Also, along with Odin, There are many ancient Norse stories that depict gods flying through the air on animal drawn sleighs. There's even an old story that has Odin flying through the sky on his horse Slipnir on the night of Yule for his wild hunt. Wild hunt's a whole interesting, um, super interesting thing. I encourage you to go check that out too. It's kind of like a. There are different versions of the wild hunt, but this one in particular in particular, is sort of a uh, a hunt of judgment. And Odin rides through the, scru- the sky on his eight-legged horse, eight legs, eight reindeer, named Sleipnir, and sort of passes judgment on the Night of Yule. There are also specific tales of Odin giving gifts and having elves and dwarves that are responsible for handling the making of these gifts. So there are a lot of parallels, um... With Odin and with Santa, a bearded, a bearded, a mystical bearded fellow who flies through the air with animals, he gives gifts, and in a way he passes judgments, Santa Claus with his naughty and nice list. (laughs) We're going to talk about another parallel with Samhain here. On the night of the big Yule celebration, so we have all the little celebrations and then it all leads up to this big Yule celebration. It was thought that the veil between this life and the afterlife was very thin, perhaps even thinner than on Samhain itself. People believed that spirits could come through the veil, and often it was believed that these spirits would give guidance towards the year, towards the year to come. Also, just like Samhain, there were dark spirits that could come through the veil as well. As well, one of the most notable were the Droger, which were reanimated corpses. There were also zombies and other kind of ghoulish figures that could come through on Yule night as well. Menemene, 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 Christmas. Zombies and Christmas corpses come through the portal and Odin will slay them on Christmas. Menemene, menemene, menemene. Okay. <clears throat> so far... We've seen a lot of connection between Yule and Halloween or Samhain, but how do we get from uh, how do we get from Yule to Christmas? So far, the only real connection point has been Odin, which is a pretty large connection point. But there's a whole history, and there are actually a ton of traditions and customs associated with Yule that are big parts of the present day Christmas celebrations. They kind of get warped and mutated and evolved throughout time. During the celebration of Yule, we're at this transition point where the veil is thin and we're seeing spirits come in and out of other dimensions. The solstice is happening. The days are dark and short. We need some protection. We, as in the ancient Germanic Norse pagans. <laughs> so in order to protect, protect themselves from these spirits, they turned to nature to help to help protect them. Specifically, they turned to holly, mistletoe, evergreens, and it was thought that these plants had mystical powers that could ward off evil because they stayed green all year round. Wreaths were hung from doors and windows, and evergreens lined homes all to ward off evil spirits. Another, could, another tradition they had was to cut down A tree large enough to burn for twelve days. There are twelve days of feasting and sacrifice. There are twelve days of Yule. Our twelve days of Christmas. There's another little parallel little another little Easter egg in there. (laughs) They would also burn evergreen trees in their homes to help ward off evil spirits as well. Also another little Easter egg in here. And I like I kind of took this note and I was just kind of thinking about where they would be in their own heads um, they would need these they'd need the light as well from burning these from burning this um these evergreens they lived in northern europe where during this time of year there is very very little sun in some places there's no sun at all for parts of the year and also for this um for this reason for the, for this long period of darkness, the Norse god Sol was worshipped by many of the ancient pagans during this time. Well, it was worshipped in general, but was revered even more during Yule time, because um, Sol was the goddess of the sun, and since the light was gone, the sun was barely there, and they were praying and hoping for Sol to return. And these fires were lit they illuminated an otherwise bleak reality of frost and cold and darkness so we're praying for soul we're praying to odin it's dark we're burning we're burning the trees we're sacrificing animals to the gods it's cold it's pretty it's pretty gnarly it's some pretty like death metal it's a pretty death metal situation ancient christmas ancient yule was <laughs> So many modern Christian traditions such as the Christmas tree, the Christmas wreath, the Yule log, and others are direct directly descended. Uh, descend, they are direct descendants of Yule customs. So that's a glimpse at what Yule was all about. Rebirth at the end of the year, celebrations, sacrifice, ancient gods, animal sacrifices, Odin, soul, tons of parallels with Halloween, Samhain. And it's probably, that's probably, Yule is probably my favorite piece of Christmas history. Yule and another thing we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Let's jump to 17, or let's jump to 117 AD over in Rome. There's another very, very old holiday known as Saturnalia. And Saturnalia itself is a mutation of a much more ancient tradition, from from pagan traditions and other traditions around Rome. Um, but I'm not going to take the time to dive into all of that here, because that warrants an entire other podcast. <laughs> but just know that in 117 A.D. the Romans were doing their own Christian thi- or their own Christmas thing, where they were celebrating Saturnalia. And Saturnalia was a Roman festival that was dedicated to the god Saturn. It was similar to Yule. It had a harvest celebration, and it had a turning of the solstice. It was a bit less gloom and doom than Yule was. (laughs) It was a bit more like party time. There were just big parties, giant feasts, Lots of alcohol, dancing, singing, games. It was like party around the clock, night and day. Hedonism hedonism and silliness were celebrated and encouraged. And during Saturnalia, villages and regions of Rome elected an, air quote, king of Saturnalia. And the king was usually a child that made people do silly things. And their commands were to be obeyed by all participants so they elected a child to do uh you know they elected a child to say i want everyone to wear silly hats and eat jelly beans until they come out of their nose and everyone would be like all right we're eating a bucket of jelly beans and wearing silly hats (laughs) i don't know if i don't know if the ancient romans had jelly beans but uh you get the picture here (laughs) A few hundred years after the inception of Saturnalia, there was a cult that came into power in Rome that focused on a sun deity called the Cult of the Unconquerable Sun. They made a holiday for their sun god on December 25th. The parallel here being the star that shines on Jesus' birthday that guided Mary to the manger. So this cult moves into Rome, or they take control of Rome, this cult of the unconquerable sun god. And I find that their incorporation of the sun god inter- into Saturnalia also intertwines with the ancient pagan um, worship of soul. I just think it's a really cool parallel. I don't know if their reasoning for that was similar to the pagans. Um, a lot of the information about them about Saturnalia and about Yule is pretty scattered and few and far between, because it's such an ancient tradition, ancient holiday. They are, there are theologians that think that this is a direct reference, a direct um, its intent. There are the, theologians that think that this is intentional, that the cult of the unconquer unconquerable sun decided to incorporate their sun god. Into the festivities because of soul and because of Yule, and there are others that think that it's just mere coincidence. But I have a hard time thinking that it could be coincidence. <laughs> what isn't? What is? Isn't a coincidence? In my opinion, is that they decided to um make a holiday a holiday for the sun god on December twenty fifth, the birth of Christ. And eventually down the line, hundreds of years after the origins of Saturnalia, there was an emperor of Rome that adopted Christianity. After that, it was only a matter of time before we see pagan and Norse religion across Europe absorbed into Christianity. This just furthers the concept that it could have been this Roman emperor who was a Christian adopting the holiday that had been in place on December twenty fifth for the sun cult and saying that's the birth of Jesus because there's this trend. Um, Christianity is historically the like Viacom or Google or Amazon of religions in the sense that they want to be the only one. They want to be. They want to absorb all of the others and. And they they don't want any other religions to be left. And that's not just me. That's not like me just spouting anti-Christian rhetoric or anything. It's just a historical fact. That's what Christianity did throughout history. And that's what Christianity is still doing today. It's even, you know, the idea of evangelizing and converting others to Christianity is cooked into the religion itself. If you read the Bible, they want you to Convert people in your life to Christianity. It's your duty as a Christian to convert people. So with that being said, um, this conversion of pagans to Christians across Europe is a reflection of that. After this Roman emperor took over and he uh, really started to popularize Christianity, it started to spread all across Europe. And that is where we get into this even deeper fusion of Christian ideology and ancient pagan Norse ideology all kind of put into a pot and stirred together. Just like I talked about on the Halloween Samhain episode, this is a, um, this is a mutation of very ancient traditions. <laughs> it, has a pretty, it has a pretty sticky and tumultuous past. So, I said I wasn't going to talk about it too much, but I wanted to talk a little bit about, the, about, about Christmas and your boy Jesus. We all know the story of the Virgin Mary. She gets pregnant with God's baby. Her and the stepdad, Joseph, follow a star to safety at a manger in Bethlehem where, you know, Jesus is born. Three wise dudes show up with gifts and all that jazz. We've all heard the tale. It's a tale we've heard a bajillion times, and uh, I think most of us know it, but one thing you might not know about the story is that the Bible itself actually never claims that Jesus is born on December 25th. There's no mention of this date in the Bible at all, and many Christian theologians have determined that Jesus was most likely not born in the wintertime at all. So why December twenty fifth as Christmas? And like I said before, this was a a move by the Christian churches. They really wanted. Um, they were really big into integrating pagan holidays and traditions into their belief system, as an effort to easily convert people who still held pagan beliefs in Europe. And since most of the Yule holidays um, and other uh, since most of Yule hol- most of the Yule holidays celebrations happen during the winter, Christian churches assigned Jesus' birthday to a late December date. At the time, what better date than this December 25th, which was already kind of integrated into the Roman world via the sun cult, and it was very deep into December when pagans would have been celebrating their Yule tradition. So, it was just a good date to segue Jesus's birthday to, or to put Jesus's birthday on. It made a lot of sense because it would, it would get a lot of people to join the Christian team. From they would they would jump ship from. It would get a lot of people. It would help a lot of people to bridge the gap from paganism to Christianity. And there are there are, there are countless debates among theologians about who picked December 25th first, why it was picked, to what degree was it stolen or recycled or misused, and we may never know the true answer to that. We're talking about thousands of years of history and belief systems integrating into one mutated thing. (laughs) Um, So... Things get further convoluted when you, consider, when you consider the fact that for many, many, many years, the history books were written by European Catholics in positions of power, and they had an agenda of control. But I kind of digress about Christmas here. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just more so talking, I, I just more so feel like it warrants an explanation, like how can this whole culture of paganism just get... Switched into Christianity when that was the big um that was the core belief system across most of europe it It took place over you know hundreds and hundreds of years and a slow integration of Christianity and Christianity pulling in dates and rituals from pagan traditions to entice people to converting to Christianity. Anyway, I dig- I'm, I digress. <laughs> We're entering into a bit more of a modern Christmas era here. Eventually there came to be a day known as the Epiphany in which Christians celebrated the arrival of the three wise men. This arrival symbolized Jesus appearing to people uh, to, appearing to people other than other than Jewish people, Gentiles. And this date is January 6th. So we get his, air quotes, birth. And then 12 days later, the appearance of the wise men, marking our 12 days of Christmas, according to the Christian model of Christmas. So these are our 12 days of Christmas. This is how we get our 12 days of Christmas between Jesus' birth and the arrival of the three wise men. And these 12 days throughout thousands of years grew in their decadence and celebrations, and eventually it grows so big that most of the Germanic and Celtic and Scandinavian worlds have fully accepted Christmas. And even today in different parts of Europe, even though these new Christian traditions have replaced the old ones, they still refer to this time of year as Yule. So most of Europe has really been liking these 12 days of Christmas, these 12 days of Hardy celebration. It's turned into this big party of twelve days of hanging out. It's kind of re- it's kind of reverted. I don't want to say reverted, but it's kind of um, the way that Yule used to be: twelve days of, of partying and hanging out. And it was a bit more grim, gloom, and doom. It got taken to the Romans. The Romans really held on to it, and up to the party (laughs) and now the party in the party atmosphere for those 12 days gets spread all across europe and everyone's like yo the christians kind of know how to party this slaps let's go (laughs) they do people really like it even though most of them are still referring to the time as yule they're like yeah 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 jesus all that yeah it's cool We're, we're doing the thing christmas is tight and we actually get our first version of the word christmas in Anglo-Saxon England as Christmesa, which eventually mutated into what we know today as Christmas. This word translates across Europe as, in French, Noel. In Spanish, Navidad. In Portuguese, Natal. Italian is Natale. The German word is Weihnachten, which just literally translates to Holy Night. So we're at the point where different versions of Christmas and traditions of Christmas start to vary all across Europe. Different countries start celebrating in different ways during this time of year. Since the U.S. is such a melting pot of different people, different customs, different lineages from all different parts of the world, we see a ton of these variations reflected in our versions of Christmas. It's actually a really cool thing when you think about it. It's all of these European versions of Yule and Christmas and Noel and Navidad and Natal and all of the versions of Christmas coming together in the United States. Just like immigration to the United States from Europe abroad, all of these rich, dense customs and these really beautiful ways of life. Christmas is a piece of that. We get this melting pot of people and we get, these melting pot of, we get this melting pot of traditions and customs. And one of the traditions that didn't fully translate is that it was pretty common for people to get um, the entirety of the, t- of the 12 days of Christmas off of work. So back before the Industrial Revolution, there was far less work to be done in the winter. And it wasn't as much of a big deal in Europe. And that tradition kept going on pretty pretty heavily for a pretty long, a pretty long time uh, in Europe. But those 12 days off didn't necessarily translate to... Or didn't necessarily... That tradition didn't come to the United States. We were still working our asses off. And during this time off, people would, of course, eat, drink, go ice skating, bowl, play... Uh, play board games, dress in costumes, sing songs. It was a big party, big party for 12 days in Europe. U.S. didn't get so much of that. But in Europe, if you were poor and you couldn't afford to party and drink and have a good time, you would go door to door and um, you would enact different scenes from plays or you would sing different songs in exchange for food or drink, so bring us some figgy pudding. So bring us some figgy pudding. So bring us some figgy pudding. We really want some pudding, and they got their pudding. <laughs> so we're in this deep. We're, I'm just, I'm talking in pretty vague terms here. This is I'm spanning um, you know, very long periods of time. I'm just talking very generally about. How at this point, now that we have gotten through the thick of the history of Christmas, how it's mutating across different parts of Europe, and it ramps up a kind of again the hedonism and the parties of the Roman culture where it marinated for a bit before it completely spread to the rest of Europe and. It's wild how history repeats itself, because not only did the partying and the feasting uh, stand the test of time, the tradition of selecting an important figure uh, to spearhead the festivities also stood the test of time. So throughout Europe, they would um, elect a child and say, have us do silly or whimsical things, and that tradition continued as well. I personally think we should do this today. I don't know if people do this, but I maybe on Christmas Day we should just elect a kid and be like you're going to we're going to do what you say today. And we kind of, we kind of do in a way where nowadays in the United States Christmas is really about the kids and it's really about letting them um pull the strings and it's really about them having fun and driving the party and letting them take the reins with the party, I think that little nugget has has translated. But we should make more of a point to <laughs> elect the king of Christmas in our home, or at least in our, maybe in our neighborhood. Could be kind of cool. <laughs> just every year you elect a different king or queen or just person of importance for Christmas and let them, <laughs> let them dictate the whole party. Anyway, uh getting back to where Christmas is now, things are really ramping up across Europe. People are loving Christmas. It's taken over um, the minds of most of the pagan traditions, and it's moved across uh, England and Scandinavia and all of the um, most parts of Europe until in the 16th century, the Protestants had to kind of ruin the party. In England, there was a particular sect of Protestants that saw all of this partying and all all of this fun during Christmas as sinful and disrespectful to the meaning of Jesus' birth. Some of them even uh, looking at Christmas as an evil time of pagan rituals and debauchery. This hatred of Christmas grew so much in England that in 1647, Christmas was banned. Penalties were put in place for anyone caught celebrating Christmas. Businesses were ordered to keep working during Christmas time, and government affairs were ordered to keep doing business as usual. Christmas got a bad rap. <laughs> the people of England were not happy about this at all. And of course, there were riots and uproars, and eventually in 1660, um, England being under a new ruler, Christmas was restored and i know I know that <laughs> I know that England is a is like a monarchy, but I just envision that the person whoever was in power, that there was another person that was coming up after them, that they were like i that was their campaign stance, you know they're like if you if you have me be in charge, I will restore Christmas. <laughs> I know it wasn't like that, but I'm sure that the next ruler, uh, was super loved because he was like, yo, this is whack. I'm, I'm bringing Christmas back to the people. And he did that in 1660. Christmas was restored. Also, you have to consider that at the time we've, we've begun to colonize the Americas. England has begun to colonize the Americas and America isn't even though America isn't a thing yet, uh Europeans were still doing their thing over there. They were still not yeah, not just England, but Europeans in general were coming to the Americas and colonizing. And just as there was turmoil in England about Christmas, we were going through some Christmas crises over here as well. In 1659, Christmas was banned in Boston by Quakers and Puritans, and it was eventually lifted after a few decades. So back, it's like, (laughs) it's really funny because you see a lot of people today, or there's like bumper stickers or people with flags or t-shirts or whatever. You see it online where people are like, keep the Christ in Christmas. But back in 1659, people were like, Christmas is evil and doesn't belong with Christ because it celebrates these debaucherous pagan rituals so it was like back then it was like keep Christ out of Christmas we don't want Christ in Christmas and nowadays we've got a huge movement that's like how dare you take Christ out of Christmas (laughs) it's just a strange it's really strange turn of events and to the people who are super gung-ho about keeping Christ in Christmas you know maybe read a book (laughs) flash forward to uh flash forward to the revolutionary war and america is struggling to gain independence christmas popularity reaches an all-time low most of the british holidays were stricken from the american calendar including christmas so christmas gets an, takes another hit where america is trying to gain its independence from england and in doing so they're like yeah and all those holidays too we don't want anything to do with those and they're like, what about Christmas? And we're like, even Christmas, we don't want it. And <laughs> at that, from what I read at that time, all we were really celebrating over here or given a heck about was obviously Independence Day and Thanksgiving. Those two holidays were American holidays. Those were holidays where it's like, we made those. They're awesome. Screw Christmas. So that happened to Christmas here for a while. There were numerous other bands of Christmas across Europe, and it honestly has a pretty tumultuous origin story in general. It's not all um mistletoe and stockings. There were some uh, Christmas bands in France there were other Christmas bands in some Eastern European countries. I'm not going to get into all of them here, but needless to say, Christmas had a pretty rocky history, getting going and getting widely accepted. Uh, across Europe and across America, over time, like it gets the wildness and the extreme nature of Christmas, it gets toned down to a holiday that focuses more on family and more, actually, more on religion. Um, it takes a much and and it it's a much more widely accepted holiday at this point. It takes a much more widely accepted shape. Because the it's been through the ringer, it had been this huge day of partying, people had considered this this anti-Jesus time, and it toned itself down and after a while Christmas was like, All right, I'm for the family. Everybody chill out. I'm cool. And everyone was like, All right, Christmas is cool. And then Christmas sort of it's it sort of settled down a little bit. It got rowdy and it settled down. <laughs> There were a ton of authors during the 1800s that helped develop and popularize this tame version of Christmas with righteous values and kindness. One of those one of those authors was Charles Dickens. He wrote A Christmas Carol, and it's probably the most popular and noteworthy uh, Christmas story or story that helped to devise the modern Christmas we know today, with the ghosts of past, present, and future, and you get Scrooge, and you get Tiny Tim. All of these characters um, are legendary. Over time, Christmas takes hold in America in a pretty big way, and the Puritans and Quakers eventually calm down about it, and eventually in 1870, it is declared a national holiday. Not only did it get declared a national holiday, it started to become celebrated by Christians and in churches all across America. So by 1870, Christians and churches are really changing their tone about Christmas. They're saying, the holidays kind of calmed down. It's proved that it, it's, you know, it's for the family and it's not as crazy as we thought. We'll 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 start celebrating. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Santa. We haven't... We haven't talked too much about him yet, and other than having many things in common with Odin, we did mention that, uh, he does carry all of these similar uh, similarities to the Norse god, but he also is this amalgamation of many different European characters and traditions forming into one super creature of Christmas. For example, his namesake, Saint Nicholas, was a Greek Antelonian, living under the rule of the Roman Empire. He was born to a Christian family that was very well off, and they were notable for their reverence towards Christ. He was known for his pleasant nature as a child and as an adult. And St. Nicholas became, eventually became a bishop, and was as legend has it, he performed a bunch of miracles that you know, got spoken in hushed tone, they turned into legends. And there are, there are tons of tales of St. Nicholas giving to his community and saving them from many bad situations. One such story sees him secretly giving a father bags of gold in the middle of the night so that he may pay his daughter's dowry. The father catches him, but St. Nick makes him swear to secrecy. He had a huge desire to help others, in particular the poor, and the young, and he wanted to keep it in secret. Obviously, we can see the parallels with St. Nicholas and our current day Santa Claus. The legend of St. Nicholas traveled into northern and central Europe, where at the time, there were other versions of Christianity taking hold other than Catholicism. In Germany, Martin Luther was doing his thing and starting his own version of Christianity. And he didn't really want the legend of this new, awesome Saint Nicholas, this Catholic Saint Nicholas, to taint his plans of creating a new, his new version of Christianity. So Martin Luther takes the legend of Saint Nicholas and he weaves it into his own version of Christmas. And he creates a, a character called Chris, Chris Kend which in german means christ child and side note here martin luther is also credited with credited with creating the first christmas trees and decorating them with candles to symbolize the stars of heaven and then there's another little debate here, where um, some historians are like, "No, it wasn't Martin Luther. It was the ancient northern Germanic traders who would first erect the trees to entice customers." But for all intents and purposes, Martin Luther is pretty responsible for popularizing the the use of Christmas trees. He was looking to you know even further zazz up his version of the holiday. He was creating his own sect of Christianity, his own version of Christianity, and he wanted. To, he didn't want Saint Nicholas to come in and ruin his plans, so he created this Christkind, Chris, sorry, excuse me, Christkind, and he wanted to also zazz up Christmas with the Christmas tree. Eventually, the indoor decorated tree was adopted by English nobility and eventually spread all across England and subsequently the United States. So you can thank Martin Luther for your Christmas tree. Also, the version of St. Nicholas he created, Chris Kend, pops off, and Europe loves him. And his origin story is sort of uh, it's wiggly and complicated. Chris Kend, back, uh, back then, was seen as an angelic child that wore a golden crown and delivered presents to children during Christmas time. Some parts of Europe still have depictions of Christkind helping out alongside St. Nicholas today. Eventually, this Christkind evolves into this father of Christmas type character in other parts of Europe, and m- most of Europe kind of ditches the version that they had before of this golden angelic child. It's still depicted in some of their uh, art and some of their stories, but moving into the future, they depict a more like Santa-ish santa figure for Chris Kend. Another side note, (laughs) as you've probably already guessed, uh, thanks to German Americans, the name Chris Kend eventually mutated into a nickname for Santa Claus, Chris Kringle. And you know that's just how language works. People say stuff and they say it wrong, and eventually it just changes so in my it's my in my guess uh chris Christ Kend, someone someone from Germany from the German zone, that part of Europe, came to the United States, started sharing the tradition of Chris Kend. And there were Americans there, people living in the U.S. that were like, what, the, what are you saying? Chris Kend?" And they were like, Chris Kringle. <laughs> like, it just mutated into Chris Kringle. It honestly is a little, it's fun to say. It's got a jingle to it, Chris Kringle. And uh, yeah, so that's how language works. You just say stuff wrong enough and it becomes words. However, not all parts of Europe were so quick to give up the legend of St. Nicholas. Up north in the Netherlands, they still hold on to St. Nicholas, and he mutates into this long-bearded, red-wearing dude that somewhat resembles our present-day Santa. This version of St. Nicholas is known as Sinterklaas, and he really starts to take the shape of what we know as Santa today. He carries a book that has a naughty and nice list. Nice kids get treats and goodies. Naughty kids, however, may be caned or taken away for a year. Kidnapped, basically. (laughs) And this kidnapping and this caning brings us to Krampus. In Northern and Central Europe, Krampus is the one who delves out the punishments. Santa gives the gifts. Krampus brings the pain. Sometimes the kids he's supposed to take away from their homes and sort of show them their misdeeds and their misdoings, he's supposed to take them away for a bit, as legend has it, but sometimes Krampus takes them and they don't return. Krampus is a goat-man hybrid with a long tongue and demonic eyes. His origins are very much most likely of pagan or Norse pagan origin. So this is another um, instance where pagan symbolism and pagan gods get intertwined into the Christmas spirit and into the Christmas holiday that's mutating all across Europe. And Krampus is the yin to the yang. Santa's Santa's looking out. He's got his list. He's checking it twice. If you're a good little kid, he's bringing you goodies. If you're bad, you're get, you're going to have to deal with Krampus's wrath. And in England, uh we start we, we kind of start to see a version of all of these Saint Nicholas's uh turning into one character called Father Christmas, which is uh their version of Santa that they still go with today. If you go to England, a lot of them will refer to Santa as Father Christmas. So I've read, so I've been told. I've never been to England. I've been to Ireland, but I've never been to England. <laughs> So, there are many different versions and representations of Santa, and they all get mixed in a blender. A dash of St. Nicholas, a sprinkle of Santa Claus, a handful of Father Christmas, a little bit of Christkind. Boom! You've got uh, America's Santa Claus. And it's obviously much more nuanced than that. There's so many intricate pieces to the history of Christmas. But that's pretty much the origins of Christmas and Santa in a nutshell. That's how Santa Claus came to be as we know him today in the West. And that's kind of how some of the Christmas traditions formed throughout history. There were a lot of authors and poets, most of which were in New York, that wrote many works that uh, further personified the lore and origins of our modern santa as well there's actually um this poem that is the first depiction of santa claus having a reindeer drawn sleigh it's a poem by clement clark moore and you know was he drawing from ancient pagan origins when he wrote this Or was he recycling things he had heard about the jolly red father of Christmas from people in his own time? It reads, Old Santa Claus, with much delight, his reindeer drives this frosty night over chimney tops and tracks of snow to bring his yearly gifts to you. The steady friend of virtuous youth the friend of duty and of truth. Each Christmas Eve he joys to come, where love and peace have made their home. Through many houses he has been, and various beds and stockings seen, some white as snow and neatly mended, others that seem for pigs intended. Wherever I found good girls or boys, That hated quarrels, strife, and noise. I left an apple, or a tart, Or wooden gun, or painted cart. To some I gave a pretty doll, To some a peg top, or a ball. No crackers, cannons, quibs, or rockets To blow their eyes up, or their pockets. No drums to stun their mother's ear, no swords to make their sisters fear, but pretty books to store their mind with knowledge of each various kind. But where I found the children naughty, in manners rude, in tempers haughty, thankless to parents, liars, swearers, boxers of cheats, or base tale bearers, I left a long black Birchen rod, such as the dread command of God Directs a parent's hand to use when virtue's path his sons refuse. And <laughs> this it hits a pleasant tone right up until the very end there. <laughs> like It seems like, oh, this is nice. Santa shows up with his sleigh, and then he gives us gifts. And he doesn't give us crazy gifts. He doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to make noise for the parents. The parents are chilling. And they're like, oh, if you're naughty right at the end there, he's going to leave a birch and rod for your parents to beat you with. <laughs> this was uh this was you know the 1800s it was it shouldn't have been acceptable then but it was (laughs) kids were getting beat on christmas if they were bad there's nothing funny about that i'm just the how like how, how like um whimsical and fun the poem is right until the last stanza is really odd to me and perhaps, why, that's definitely why it's that's not a popular poem today. But I picked it because it has the first depiction of Santa on his sleigh. And it also kind of, I picked it to read as well, because it also kind of sets the tone of the time. And what, you know, it, there's this darkness to it. It's this odd darkness. <laughs> um, Christmas is very complex, Christmas has been changing and mutating for thousands of years. Its origins have their place in the changing of the seasons and the changing of a mindset of life, death, and rebirth. The holiday is full of interesting characters and traditions. And there is, there, in my opinion, there really isn't one right way to celebrate this thing. Um the holidays in general. Christmas specifically, but the holidays in general, there's no one right way to celebrate. It's a celebration of Odin and a sacrifice to the ancient gods. It's Jesus's birthday and the arrival of God as the Christ child. It's a time to party, a time to eat, a time to drink, a time to be silly. It's a celebration of Saint Nicholas and his spirit of giving and goodwill. It's a fear of Krampus coming to take you away after you've been very naughty. Christmas is all of these things. It's not just one thing. It's not just one. There's not just one reason for the season. It's like most It's like most holidays. It's a reflection of humanity making sense of things. It's an echo of traditions passed through time. And I personally take it as a time to kind of take it as a time to reflect and be thankful for what I have. I take it as a reminder that I am incredibly blessed with friends and family who love me. And it can be tough navigating the human experience, and it feels good shedding some of the darkness at the end of the year and looking forward to new beginnings. And it feels really good to be hopeful And if it feels good to celebrate life. I like to end these episodes with a fun fact. And the fun fact for this episode is that you aren't alone. No matter how dark it seems, you're not alone. And if you feel like you need support, and that the weight has become too much, and that you have exhausted your resources and you don't have anyone to call or to talk to, you can find support by calling the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. The number is 988. And if you call, you'll be connected to a trained specialist that can help you De-escalate your situation and help you find help locally. And if you're worried about the police being involved, as many would be, um, less than three percent of the calls to the hotline end with any police involvement at all. And I know that I know that it might seem like wild to some people, like you. Could never you could never fathom that circumstance, but just keep just kinda keep those numbers in your back pocket. Nine eight eight. We're gonna get through these holidays. I love y'all. And remember to check on your mental health and check on the mental health of your loved ones. Bye. Analogue Analog thoughts. Thoughts. Analog Analog thoughts. thoughts. Analog thoughts. Analog thoughts in a box, of, of thoughts. I'm a long story. In a I'm in a